Brother Man. What's up, dude? Welcome to this. Oh yeah. I'm glad to be back. Me too, man. So I was thinking about doing this like all last week. That was a fun episode. Uh, yeah. And we need to have Sophia on again. And we need to have more people on now that we have that as a proof of concept. Absolutely. That's what we should do. We'll be doing more guest stuff. I've been holding off because I've uh, been saving up for more mics. That's true. And now <clears throat> I have more mics. Heck yeah. So we can do a three-person setup on the pretty regular. That'd be pretty cool. On the regular degular, and that would be great. Mm-hmm. So welcome to Summon Greater Podcast. This is the show where we talk about homebrew. And because it's October, we get a little creepy. Spooky shit. We get a little stupid. <laughs> and we get so, so scary. We're so scary. Not as scary as we're going to get tomorrow when we go to see the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, which I mistakenly thought that the last episode went up was going up this time around. But anyway, my bad calendar skills aside, we're going to go see the movie. Yeah. I'm very excited. <laughs> The takes I've seen on the movie are, like, not great. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I have low expectations going in, which is what I kind of had to begin Uh-oh. with. Because, like, I don't know. It's got it's got too much to live up to. That's true. You'll never be able to fully satisfy diehard fans of yeah. this franchise. It's, it's going to be <clears throat> the same situation that it was with, uh, with the last couple of games. I know that the last two were both supposed to like try to fix some of the mistakes of the one before it (laughs) and fans haven't responded that great to either attempt but they they seem to like uh they seem to like both sister location and security breach quite a bit anyway this is not going to be our third episode in a row talking about five nights at freddy's (laughs) contrary to how we (laughs) opened everything no we have some things that we made today and we have some things that our old friend from a few episodes ago, Jacob P. made. Yeah. Uh, that's the guy that you might remember made for us uh, a couple of Sorceress Origins. And now he's given us a basket full of fruit for another Sorceress Orange. <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, my brain just heard what I said and went Sorceress Oranges. <laughs> Uh, so can't wait to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Skyler has been working on something furiously in in the last few moments. And regardless of what whatever order we had planned before, I'm dying to know what it is. Okay, so we're going to start with this then. So one of the things that uh, Jacob contacted us again and was talking about, we made an anime reference when we were talking about some of his last mm-hmm. um, stuff that he submitted. And so he asked us to talk about some of our favorite anime characters and maybe how we would put them in D&D. Obviously, we've done a little bit of anime stuff before. We Mm -hmm. talked about the big one, Goku. Yeah. And that one did really, really well in the shorts. Yeah. Uh, Everyone loved that. So I am going to the one of the big three animes that I have actually watched. Yes. Consistently. So I'm in Naruto with this. And now there are... Probably so many people out there that will think that it's kind of hard to do Naruto characters or maybe a cop out to do Naruto characters mm-hmm. because 
it's so easy to slot almost all of them into monk because key points for like the whole chakra thing <clears throat> and movement um, abilities where they can like run on water and stuff like that. <clears throat> so it, it can be kind of like, if you want to go surface level, you can say pretty much every character in Naruto is a monk. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> However, yeah. <laughs> However, um, really quick shout out though, before I start on this, there is actually a Naruto adaptation for D and D fifth edition. You've brought this up to me before. I have. Yeah. It's really cool. I don't remember for the life of me what it's called, mm-hmm. but it is comprehensive. They have every single family in like the, the abilities that they have, um, all of the different, um, jutsu and things from Naruto, it's massive, and if you guys are into Naruto, absolutely recommend you check that out. <clears throat> so, the character from Naruto that I wanted to do is my favorite character from the entirety of the anime, Itachi Uchiha. Mm-hmm. Itachi is such a badass. <laughs> yeah. He's, <laughs> the, he's the Shadow the Hedgehog one, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the older brother, Shadow the Hedgehog one. I see. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So I'm not going to get too much into everything that happens to it- Itachi and why he is the way he is because Sam hasn't seen that much of Naruto yet. Nope. Skylar has all of the Naruto exposure between the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to talk about Itachi without spoilers, which will hurt a little bit. And that means that I, le- I left out one of his biggest abilities. Because there's really not much way to work that into D&D in a balanced way as a playable character. For those of you who have seen Naruto, it's the one ability that Itachi and Sasuke eventually wind up sharing between the two of them. They both have the ability. So you know which one I'm talking about. Sam, you'll get there. You'll figure it out. (laughs) In looking at Itachi, I went two levels of monk. A whole whopping two. That's not much. And then 18 levels of sorcerer. That's a whole lot. Yeah. So the reason for this is because maybe 25% of Itachi's expertise in Naruto is physical combat. Okay. The rest of it is in a technique called Genjutsu, which is a an illusion... Like, it's all in the eyes kind of a thing. So he can basically jettison people into their mind and go in with them and trap them inside their head. Oh, (laughs) this is sick. It's like the reverse of Jujutsu Kaisen's domain expansion. Exactly. That's unbelievably cool. And Itachi's big thing is he is so good at this, he can make them spend several years inside their mind in a fraction of a second okay so that's so freaky (laughs) for everyone else around them it looks like the characters blinked and then one character comes back bleeding and exhausted and whimpering and crying for death because itachi just spent seven years torturing them inside (sighs) their own mind Holy crap. <laughs> That's so metal. It is insane. Some of the things you tell me about this show, like <laughs> I I don't expect from it just because of the I don't know, the the profile it has of being like not not a children's show, but like 
Well, it got a run on Cartoon Network for a while, That's and they the thing. they censored the hell out of it. Yeah, because <laughs> they had to, because motherfuckers were dying in that uh-huh. show. <laughs> but yeah, so wow, the first series Naruto is very like it feels childish, mm-hmm. and then you get to the last arc of that show, and you go, oh wait, oh they're going in a very dark direction with this, and then Naruto Shippuden. Is when everything just goes to hell in a handbasket. It goes all in on that? Oh, yeah. Wow. They basically go into a world war. Okay. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so good. But anyway, 18 levels of sorcerer for Itachi. Two levels of monk. Now, with two levels of monk, that's not enough levels for you to get a subclass. Mm-hmm. So it's just purely for unarmored defense and unarmored movement. That's it. Because that allows him to have a, uh, with good stats focusing on dexterity, wisdom, and charisma, he can get an armor class of 19 or 20. Oh my God. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Just from having, like we've mentioned before, one class of monk, Mm -hmm. same thing with it would have been for one class or one level of barbarian to just get the, um, the armor class abilities. But the 18 levels of sorcery are where it gets really cool. Because the subclass for the sorcerer that I picked is called Lunar Sorcery. Um, Again, for those of you who have seen Naruto, you will be very happy with this. Because Itachi is very, very heavily portrayed against a blood moon. He is like the blood moon character of Naruto. Do they make like distinct narrative ties to that or is it just a consistent motif it's a consistent motif yeah um a lot of his theming is very dark very very like kind of creepy um he one of the main um characteristics of his genjutsu is a flock of ravens okay so yeah so he will like open his mouth and a flock of ravens will come out and like surround you and there are so many characters that'll be like, watch out for the Ravens. They'll put you in the Genjutsu. Well, no, actually you looked at his eyes. So you're already in his Genjutsu. Oh man. And the Ravens are part of it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's freaky. Yeah. So lots of really cool stuff. There. Uh-huh. Um, whoops, just lost my thing. So the, the big draw for the lunar sorcery build is that when you choose it, you get to select one of three moon phases that like represent you. Lunar embodiment is what it's called. <clears throat> so you can choose. Yeah, da, 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 da. So you can choose um, at level one crescent moon, full moon, or new moon. <clears throat> now thematically, I would have loved to have been able to take new uh, full moon, but the mechanics are just a little off. They don't mm-hmm. match Itachi very well. So I went with New Moon because the stuff that you get from New Moon is really cool. Um, <clears throat> first things first, when you choose Lunar Sorcery, you get an ability called Moonfire. You can call down the radiant light of the moon on command, which basically just means you learn the Sacred Flame spell. Mm-hmm. doesn't count against how many spells you know. Um... <clears throat> When you cast the spell, 
you can target one creature as normal, or you can target two creatures that are within five feet of each other. So just an upgrade on Sacred Flame, and it's really cool for a sorcerer to be able to cast Sacred Flame, because that's pretty much almost always a cleric spell. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> then, where was the next one? At sixth level, you get Lunar Boons, which are uh, upgrades on your sorcerer subclass. The Full Moon Sorcerer um, would become associated with abjuration and divination spells the crescent moon sorcerer would become associated with illusion and transmutation spells and the one that i chose new moon gets enchantment and necromancy spells now a lot of you are probably thinking like well itachi's whole thing is the illusion whatever so why not go with crescent moon for illusion and necromancy mm -hmm. spells and it's because most of the spells that cause you to affect another creature's mind are actually enchantments. Oh, gee. Mm -hmm. I enchant you into exile in your own mind, bro. Yeah, basically. Because <laughs> um, a, lot, a lot of the illusion spells are like, make myself look different, make the terrain look different, stuff like that. And later abilities just made even more sense, honestly. So very, very cool. <clears throat> and also... At 6th level, you get the ability to spend one sorcery point to switch which aspect of the moon you're represented by. Okay. So it's like, you're technically all of them. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to focus on new moon for this because I think it has the most Itachi-like abilities. Um, again, at level 14, you get another new upgrade. <clears throat> Full moon lets you... Use a bonus action to shed bright light in a 10-foot radius and dim light for an additional 10 feet or douse the light. In addition, you and creatures of your choice have advantage on intelligence and wisdom checks. Uh, sorry, intelligence investigation and wisdom perception checks while you are within the bright light that you shed. Kind of cool. Not very Itachi. Crescent Moon gives you resistance to necrotic and radiant damage. Again, pretty cool. Not really screaming Itachi. New Moon, you gain advantage on stealth checks. In addition, while you are entirely in darkness, attack rolls against you have disadvantage. Which is very Itachi. Uh-huh. He appears a lot in the daylight in the anime. Yeah. But if you <laughs> were to like stumble across him at night or in a dark place or whatever you would die you just you can't fight itachi in the dark yeah <laughs> so i just loved that i thought that was so freaking cool um and then again at 18th level another one full moon you can radiate moonlight for a moment each creature of your choice within 30 feet of you must succeed on a constitution saving throw against your spell save dc or be blinded until the end of its next turn. In addition, one creature of your choice in that area regains 3d8 hit points. Really cool. Mm -hmm. Again, not Itachi themed. Crescent Moon. Um, this one I actually could see Itachi using. Uh, you magically teleport to an unoccupied space you can see within 60 feet of yourself. You can bring along one willing creature that you can see within 5 feet of you. That creature teleports to an unoccupied space of your choice that you can see within five feet of your destination space. Wordy, but <clears throat> you get the idea. 
And then in addition, you and that creature gain resistance to all damage until the start of your next turn. Wow. But the new moon one brings joy to my heart. Uh Uh-huh. It's basically Genjutsu, like actually in this one ability. You momentarily emanate gloom. Each creature of your choice within 30 feet of you must succeed on a dexterity saving throw against your spell save DC or take 3d10 necrotic damage Mm. and have its speed reduced to zero until the end of its next turn. In addition, you become invisible until the end of your next turn or until immediately after you make an attack roll or cast a spell. It's so good. It's like, it's kind of close. Yeah. It's like an abbreviated version of the effect you described, I think. Yeah, very much. It's really getting there, though. It doesn't fully encompass what a Genjutsu is, but so good. Mm -hmm. And then um, I have spells for Itachi, such as the ninth level Time Stop, Power Word Stun, (laughs) Mental Prison. Oh my god, there you go. Yeah. Investiture of Wind just because it's a really cool one and some Naruto characters have done stuff like this before. Basically you create like a whirlwind around yourself and ranged attacks have disadvantage and it lets you fly temporarily. Okay. Well, that's a lot. Yeah. Well, it's a sixth level spell, so it does, yeah. it does a ton. Um, yeah. And the enemies that come into the whirlwind whirlwind take like bludgeoning damage wow. or something. But then, um, Another thing that Itachi is well known for is the Uchiha clan, one of their specialties in the jutsu is fire, almost said spells, (laughs) fire jutsu. Uh So they have one that is literally called fireball. Okay. (laughs) Does it function like fireball? Kind of, but it's not ranged. Okay. It's like they go and they blow and it's like this immolation fire. So I gave him both the spells immolation and fireball. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but then there's um, dominate person, psychic lance, yeah. banishment, hypnotic pattern, blur. Um, another one that I picked for him is silvery barbs. Because another thing that he can do with the Genjutsu is he can make someone think that they stabbed him and killed mm. him and then he will disappear and reappear behind yeah. them. That's a, that's a really funny way to flavor silvery barbs. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I love that. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, cantrips like firebolt, control flames, friends, message, mind sliver, stuff like that. So super freaking cool with the classes. Yeah. And, um, for the race, I chose wood elf. Mm hmm because they gain elf weapon training. So they automatically have proficiency with long sword, short sword, short bow, long bow, mm-hmm. which is very Naruto. They're all, they can all use weapons a lot. Um, Fey ancestry, you have advantage on saving throws against being charmed and magic can't put you to sleep. He is so good at the whole Genjutsu thing that no one can really do it to him. Mm-hmm. Dark vision, He's a new Chiha. They have the fancy eyes. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Keen senses. You also gain proficiency in perception again with the eyes. And then uh, fleet of foot. Your base walking speed increases to 35 feet, which 
again, just makes a lot of sense for Naruto because they're all very fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but my favorite racial ability of the Wood Elves is Mask of the Wild. You can attempt to hide even when you are only lightly obscured by foliage, heavy rain, falling snow, mist, or other such natural phenomena. Sheesh. So you can just be like, it's raining. I'm in stealth mode. That's silly, dude. <laughs> wow. Is it like, like, like as if, effective as like shadow step kind of deal? Well, here's the thing. It's if you are a rogue, uh-huh. basically, and you are like, you need to be hidden yeah. to get sneak attack. Then you use you the can, dark. You can just bonus action hide in rain. Oh my. <laughs> It's kind of metal if you role play it right. Yeah. <laughs> like, so freaking oh. cool. <clears throat> and then um, the background that I chose for Itachi is Urban Bounty Hunter, mm-hmm. which again just makes sense with where Itachi's at when we meet him in the anime. He's essentially a bounty hunter. Okay. Super, super cool. Is he not from the, <clears throat> the Hidden Leaf Village? He is originally. Okay. Again, won't spoil that. Yeah. But <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that allows you, that background allows you to get proficiency with like thieves tools. And I used it to give him proficiency in stealth and insight. So very, very cool stuff there. Mm -hmm. That's about all I have for him, but I I love this character so much. Uh, as always, uh, terrified that you are going to put that in a campaign and throw it at your players, <laughs> of which I'll be one. <laughs> no. What? Yeah. <laughs> so I've got a counterpart to this. Uh, I can't call this my favorite anime character. I was thinking for a long time after after reading Jacob's email, like, who that might even be. Don't know. Not, You've watched way more uh, anime than I have. I've watched a considerable amount of anime. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, recently, um, I have been watching uh, with my sister, Bungo Stray Dogs. You, I'm, I'm sorry? Bungo Stray Dogs. Bungo Stray yes. Dogs. This, is, this show is uh, set in modern day Japan, probably probably a little past modern day. Okay. Uh, if we're going by the technology, but this is a an earth in which uh, a portion of the populations have their own unique abilities, right? It's kind of a My Hero Academia oh, situation, okay. but way less of the population and, and way more secretive about it as a result. The character that the first couple of arcs really focuses on is Atsushi Nakajima. He is a young old dude with um, an ability that he doesn't totally understand until he comes in, into contact with the armed det- armed detective agency in Japan. Uh, this is an agency of detectives, as the name might imply, who um, are armed, as you might guess, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they have arms, guys. <laughs> <laughs> they all have special abilities of some kind. And, um, and like Atsushi Nakajima, are all named after real-world authors. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, as are many, many people in the show. It's kind of it's kind of fun to see who's who. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and it adds to the. Uh, it, it's a good show. I, I like it a lot. <laughs> Atsushi's ability is that he is the were tiger. 
he turns into a big fluffy white tiger. He has to learn how in the world to control himself as a tiger because he turns feral when he turns into a tiger. Ah. So as the show progresses, he realizes he can turn less of himself into a tiger. And then, you know, eventually as it goes on, he ends up just kind of using his, his arms and legs in where tiger form. Um, and then, you know, still retains a lot of the, the physical prowess of the tiger. That's cool. Yeah. So man, that'd be a sick druid ability with that progression in mind. (laughs) Um, I think that at level 20, I would build this as um, Circle of the Moon Druid to level 6. And then the other 14 levels are Barbarian Path of the Totem Warrior. Ooh, that's all of the options are the tiger options. Yeah. Because they all fit Atsushi. Yeah. Just by happenstance. (laughs) So, of course, Circle of the Moon gives us our wild shape to begin with um, and then gives you primal strike. Your attacks and beast forms count as magical for the purpose of overcoming resistance and immunity to non-magical attacks and damage. Mm. This is very Atsushi. Uh, past this, <laughs> past sixth level, when you get primal strike, we're not looking at really taking any of the other things that Circle of the Moon gives us. Um, so from there, we switch fully into Path of the Totem Warrior and, uh, and take all of its abilities, which of course goes through level 14 and just kind of matches up perfectly. Um, Six and 14 is a really good multi-class spread. Yeah, that's that's a great multi-class spread. <laughs> <laughs> Totem Spirit Tiger. While raging, you can add 10 feet to your long jump distance and three feet to your high jump distance. The Spirit of the Tiger empowers your leaps. Certainly does for Atsushi. Boingo boy. Aspect of the beast. Tiger. You gain proficiency in two skills from the following list. Athletics, acrobatics, stealth, and survival. The cat hones your survival instincts. I think he probably takes athletics and survival as part of this. Um, he, uh, he has to do all of these four frequently. Uh, but in my opinion, his stealth is less than fantastic he he doesn't have the best success rate throughout the show <laughs> trying to be stealthy this tends to happen when you transform into a tiger oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and also just when you are atsushi <laughs> to be honest <laughs> Fair. totemic attunement tiger while you're raging if you move at least 20 feet in a straight line toward a large or smaller target right before making a melee weapon attack against it you can use a bonus action to make an additional melee weapon attack against us. This, all of these things uh, feed into the idea shown frequently that this tiger is just fast as hell. <laughs> and and Atsushi, you know, constantly trying to harness his own speed while mm. in the various tiger forms that he takes. Not the various tiger forms, but the, the various levels of tiger form. Yeah, the various yeah. percentage of tiger. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is essentially it. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, as far as race, it's it's hard to call him anything than other anything other than just your basic, you know, human half elf. He's he's nothing terribly special in that regard. This uh, transformation really is his thing. That's so sick. I would love to show you this show sometime. I have I have. Too much shit I need to show you. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Guys, the list is so long. Yeah. 
we're, we're both so backed up on our anime. It's not even funny. Uh-huh. Yeah, this isn't even... I, I know I know. Jacob was asking for our favorite. I think I need some more time with even my favorite from just this show. Because it's not Atsushi. It's probably a character called Dazai. Um, which... He's just, he's a whole mess and I would need like a week to think about him alone. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think also I would love to hear your thoughts on, um, Goju from Jujutsu. Uh, oh, Gojo? Gojo. Gojo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know who does have a thought or two on Gojo? Oh yeah. Is our friend Jacob. Oh, is that one of the ones he brought up? Oh dude. Jacob this week, uh, along with that question from earlier, sent us a new sorceress origin. Uh, this guy is all about his sorcerers, and I am all here for it. I love it, man. Sorcerer I, is one of my favorite classes. I think I think there is so, so much potential for just, like, unique abilities within <laughs> the sorcerer class, especially in context with all of the other uh, pre-existing sorcerer's origins, because they're so diverse to begin with. Um, and I think it gives a great basis to say uh, you really can make in homebrew whatever the hell you want for this class. Yeah, I'm actually working with a homebrew subclass for this for one of my uh, characters. Oh, really? That I'm playing. Uh, the one in uh, Bailey's campaign, Fearland. We've talked oh, about. Oh, yeah, yeah. We talked about them bef- before on the podcast. He's playing an Archfey sorcerer. Oh, my God. <laughs> so freaking fun. So cool, dude. <laughs> uh, you're having so much fun role playing that I can tell. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, uh, I I got to guest in that campaign. I'm not a permanent member in that one, but uh, yeah, I I sat in for one session of it. Um, and as you'll a, be in you'll be in a few more. I too. will I will be in a few more. Yeah, at, at least so long as the party remains in the Feywild. Yeah. Um, and uh, man, y'all have fun. <laughs> That's a fun party. <laughs> it is a really really good party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it really brought me back to like the OG days of like the first group that we got together playing D and D at it, college. It does capture that spirit just a little bit. I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. So but anyway, back to Jacob. <laughs> he's got a little bit of lore for this that you might recognize if you're familiar with Jujutsu Kaisen and Gojo in particular, the, I'm going to butcher this, but hopefully not. The Illimite family is one of the proud elven noble lineages residing close to the western capital Arius. Notable for being born with natural silver hair and bright blue or red eyes, they rose to notoriety for their innate cosmic sorceries. Control over space itself is passed down through the family line, manifesting once in a generation as a being blessed with the utmost potential, the limitless. That's so freaking cool. This is Gojo's lore also. Okay. Like like straight up worded differently. That's kind of what I was thinking. That's exactly what he's got going on. This is just... J- Jacob, thank you for translating this into D&D because this is so fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we love shit like this so much. This is... Uh, you're, you're going above and beyond with, you know, just just our basic what if this character was in D&D concept. Uh, and he really, really... Like, it, it's like the rules of D come just second nature to him like you can tell he oh just, yeah this is like you've done work yeah and it's so impressive and also he ju- he definitely just lives in these books uh <laughs> like a lot more than we do and i totally respect it 
Um, For sure. Because it results in really cool stuff like this. So <laughs> here are the spells you get. With this, at level one, you get Magnify Gravity and Thunder Wave already terrifyingly gojo <laughs> three you get immovable object and vortex warp at five you get thunder step and wind wall at seven you get dimension door and gravity sinkhole and at nine you get far step and wall of force <laughs> starting at first level you learn the attraction and repulsion cantrips these are new cantrips that jacob has made um color coded in blue and red might i add the blue one is attraction uh, it's a transmutation can cantrip, one action, 30 feet, lasts a minute. You create a brilliant cyan orb of infinite imaginary mass, <laughs> generating an attractive force in a five-foot radius sphere centered on a point you can see within range. Each creature that enters or starts their turn in the sphere's radius must make a strength saving throw. On a failed save, they are forcefully pulled into the center of the sphere, taking 1d6 force damage and are unable to move away from the center of the sphere until their next turn. Objects laying less than a uh, hundred pounds, rather, are drawn also drawn into the center of the sphere. As a bonus action, you can move the sphere up to thirty feet, carrying any creatures within the sphere who failed their saving throw with it. Um, and then, of course, at higher levels, it increases in damage range and radius to tearing up terrifying effects. Two d six at forty feet and ten feet at fifth level, um, and then so on. A uh, few times increasing all the way up to 17th level where it is 46 60 feet and 20 feet scary yeah um cool thing about this cantrip and i'm assuming the cantrip following it mm -hmm. these would also if tweaked slightly work super super well for another naruto character yeah. that i would also really like to touch on at some point pain okay that is his name okay pain arc best arc all i'm gonna say those of you who know, know. You're and not even the first person I've heard that from. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Pain arc, best arc, all of Naruto. So fucking good. I have heard that these characters are sort of similar. Pain and Gojo? Yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are a lot of parallels drawn between these two shows. Um, I think on purpose oh, yeah. by, by the writer of JJK. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would have to guess that that might be the Gojo inspiration probably and there's so much i'm gonna go on a mini tangent here really quick yeah. just stick with me for like two minutes there's so much parallel between the two shows mm -hmm. one of my favorite parallels being the fact that there is a character in both naruto and jujutsu kaisen who does not possess the energy that all of the other characters require yeah. to use and yet they are one of if not the most proficient warriors. yes yes i i love it's that so much so good um it's a great it's not common enough to be called a trope but like i i love the concept so much that i wish it was yeah the you theming know? of it is phenomenal mm -hmm. did, um did you get far enough in naruto to see rock lee no okay no um i know of the character from the rock lee clip you know dropping the weights oh right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, literally, you're like the Rock League clip, and I was like, there are like 12. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but no, you're correct. That is the Rock League. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, enough of me distracting from this. So let's talk about red, otherwise known as repulsion. Now, hold on. Sorry. Yeah. 
the red and the blue coating here, does that coincide with the eyes? It does not. So okay. Gojo's eyes are blue, just like a, a crazy starry blue. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just a trait of his. Um, these two cantrips correspond to two, um, I should say, aspects of Gojo's limitless ability, uh, which are he, he literally re refers to as blue and red. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, and they appear like... When I say these are almost exactly blue and red as they appear in the show, like I, I really mean that they are a blue and red orb respectively that do almost exactly what these spells are describing. Nice. Yeah. It's so he, had, he had mentioned that like part of the lineage thing was like bright blue or bright red eyes. So I was just I picked up on that and I thought, Ooh, I wonder if those are correlating. Yeah. But. So a, a, a thing that <laughs> I didn't know about that I may have just missed is uh, the, the red eyes. And I don't know if that is adapted or not, but, uh, I, I don't recall um, people appearing with red eyes in the Goja family. That may be a thing, an evil twin sort of thing that happens later. I don't know. Sick. We'll see. <laughs> we'll get there when we get there. I don't there. know enough about the story yet. I'm an anime watcher only at the moment. Repulsion. You create a brilliant crimson orb expelling infinite imaginary mass, generating a repulsive force in a five-foot radius sphere centered on a point you can see within range. Each creature that enters or starts their turn in the sphere's radius must make a strength saving throw. If this sounds similar, it's because it really is. It's just the opposite. <laughs> uh, blue is pulling everything in. Red is pushing everything out. Yep, it's uh, 1d6 force damage again when you are flung away from it, of course. Objects laying less than, less than 100 pounds are also repulsed from the sphere. As a bonus action, you can move the sphere up to 30 feet. You can only damage a particular creature once per turn while moving the sphere. And it increases in damage in the exact same way. Nice. Very straightforward cantrips. Also, um, are they broken as cantrips? No. No? No. Um, they're utility cantrips that also do a little bit of damage. Yeah. The, the reason why I don't think they're broken mm -hmm. is because there's no modifier to the damage. It's just straight 1d6. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> yeah. I know that sounds like a really small thing, but most of the time when you're using cantrips to deal damage, mm -hmm. they have a higher dice and they have your spellcasting ability modifier added on to that mm -hmm. for extra damage. So that's the reason why Warlocks with Agonizing Blast can do so much damage with Eldritch Blast because it becomes 1d10 plus your charisma for every bolt okay. that you fire with it. Right. So theoretically, at like 17th level, a warlock with 20 charisma, which would be a plus five modifier, can do 60 damage maximum with one cantrip. Mm. So <laughs> these are nowhere near that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the only thing that DMs might be nervous about with these is specifically looking at the utility of like the movement because it wouldn't be too far outside the realm of possibility to think that they would use these cantrips to pull someone off a cliff mm -hmm. or push them off a cliff or something of that nature so but again dms can work around that there can be a plot armor thing hanging 
off the edge of that cliff as well. They catch something mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't know. You can you can work around that. I don't think it's a big enough deal to be nervous about these cantrips at all. I think they're expertly written. Yeah. And it's just super fun. Mm-hmm. We I also think they scale really well with level. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And we don't have very many physical utility cantrips. Right. Most of them are damage, light, or like communication. Yeah, or yeah. Mage hand and mending. <laughs> the, the utility is what makes me wonder, but like... You know, it's it's just it's a it's a saving throw every time, uh, like like most cantrips. So, yeah, most damaging cantrips. Anyway. And also at lower levels, your save DC is not that high yet. Mm-hmm. So I, I think these are great. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, infinity barrier. Starting at sixth level, you can manipulate the space around your body, creating an infinite distance between yourself and would-be attackers. As a reaction, when you would be hit by an attack, you can spend one or more sorcery points, subtracting three from the triggering attack roll for every sorcery point expended. Ooh. That is a really interesting use of sorcery points. I love it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and for those of you going, oh, you can, that's, that's broken. You can regen your sorcery points after a short rest. Blah, 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 blah. It's so much fun. And if you want to prioritize using your sorcery points as defense rather than offense and using them to modify your spells, do it. Yeah. Like, who cares? Mm-hmm. It's so cool. Yeah. This is a great way to do it. Yeah. Uh, also, once balanced. You, yeah. I think. Yeah. Especially once you get to higher levels, you get to like level 20, you have 20 sorcery points to play with. Use them. Yeah. Because that's something that has frustrated me a little bit about sorcerers is that they don't have enough ways to use sorcery points. Mm-hmm. Meta magic is great. I love being able to use them to cast spells, but if it's just for spells and you're like outside of combat or, you know, heaven forbid you're in a situation where casting a spell is not your best option. What do you do with them? They just sit there. Yeah. Yeah. So any outlet, for sorcery points that's like creative and outside of the realm of casting a spell. I want to hear about it and I want to like figure out how to make it work because it's so needed. It's so needed. Amplified technique. Starting also at sixth level, you can enhance the capabilities of your innate cosmic sorceries by expanding is wow. By expending a spell slot, when you cast attraction or repulsion, the spell's damage and object weight limit increases by one D six and 50 pounds for each level of spell slot expended. There it is. (laughs) There's the ball dropping. I was, I was thinking that like, you know, of course you have to nerf red and blue significantly to really transpose them appropriately. Uh, this is the catch for sure. <laughs> that is amazing. This is how you bring it back up to speed. Yeah. Again, thinking outside the box with how you interact with cantrips, how you utilize spell slots. This is peak D and D for me. And how you can use, uh, subclass abilities. Like yeah. this, this type of interaction between your subclass abilities and, your cantrips is really, really sick. And yeah. I really love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. No, this is phenomenal. It's like we were talking about when we, when we did the uh, Baldur's Gate video. Mm-hmm. We were talking about ways that Baldur's Gate has 
gently shifted the paradigm mm-hmm. of how you can modify things in yeah. D&D. And this is following that same principle. Change things that no one has changed before. Yeah. Have things interact that have never interacted before. Being able to spend spell slots to make a cantrip more powerful is fucking golden. Mm-hmm. In a way that even if those cantrips were like, you know, available to a whole class, right? Only this subclass would be able to use it in this particular way. Right, right. And That's I love the that. thing. Not just making it a broad like, oh, you can expend a spell slot and this cantrip gets stronger. No, it is specifically because you are this, you can use this thing in this specific way. Yeah. That no one else can do. Yeah. I want more of this for other subclasses. Like Same dude. I'm, I might honestly try to introduce something like this to existing subclasses uh-huh. just to see what we can do with it. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is the kind of effort that I want to put into a character like like Dazai from Bungo Stray Dogs. Except I feel like I don't even know enough about him because we've... <laughs> the, the fucking author, man. He doesn't give us enough to go on. <laughs> <clears throat> Let's talk about obliteration, which you get at 14th level. You can smash together the convergence and divergence of infinity, generating an area of violent reality disrupting force. You can concentrate on the attraction and repulsion cantrips simultaneously. This, I think, is hollow purple. As an action, when the center of both spheres overlap, you can dismiss both spells to detonate an eruption of purple energy. Hello, there it is. There we go. <laughs> Forcing all creatures within the sphere to make a dexterity saving throw. Taking force damage equal to... <laughs> whoa, 40 plus 8d6 on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. Creatures killed in this way have their bodies erased from space along with all inanimate matter within the sphere's range at the time of detonation. This ability can be used once, regaining all expended use upon completing a long rest. There it is. Holy God. That is amazing. <laughs> Again, so sick. thematically fits Gojo so well. It is his hollow purple ability. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Which I don't think you've seen yet. No, I've not seen yet. Right. But I'm very, very excited. And I also feel like I know all of these things and have seen all of these things because I've watched so much Naruto. Sure, yeah. And yeah. It's not, is there a parallel to this in particular, do you think? There is an ability that Pain has that's kind of like this. Mm-hmm. There is another character in Naruto who's really, really fucking funny, but his thing is he's the one of two people in existence that ever mastered um, manipulating matter okay. as their jutsu. So they can essentially cast this spell where it's this like shape made out of light and anything they can like expand it or like throw it or whatever, anything that it touches when they like trigger it just disappears gone. And if there's a person in it or partially in it dematerialized. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it just reminded me of that. And I was like, Ooh, That's awesome. Yeah. Super, super cool. Last one here is Cosmic Void. Starting at 18th level, you can inundate minds with the infinite information held in the cosmos. Say that three times fast. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. As an action, you can expend five sorcery points to generate a 20-foot radius sphere of cosmic mass centered on yourself. This is, of course, the domain expansion 
uh, unlimited void. Yeah. All creatures, excluding yourself, which enter or start their turn inside the sphere, must make an intelligence saving throw, becoming paralyzed on a failed save. The sphere can remain active for up to 10 minutes, depending on concentration. No no further explanation needed. There, there was just a moment in a, in a recent JJK episode. I'm going to spoil it. Not, not terribly <laughs> much, but a little bit. Um, where uh, Gojo has to take a calculated risk to use this ability in a crowd of people. Um, and he decides that he's able to do so for just a fraction of a second um, in order to stun the people he's chasing. Okay. This, while this also clip popped up on my TikTok. Okay. I bet it did because yeah. it's so, it's so, oh man, the writer of this show is extremely, extremely creative with every single ability he writes. And, he uh, Gojo is just it's got to be his baby. I mean, the abilities he designed for this character are really, really good, and he uses them in such a variety <clears throat> of ways. Um, the, the calculated risk here is he's able to stun the people he's chasing, um, while leaving all the innocent bystanders alive, but uh, just you know dealing with a little bit of psychological trauma i was gonna say wasn't it, it wouldn't it be kind of like time stop the D sure. spell well obviously there's more going on behind the scenes but definitely it, like, in that specific situation it's reminiscent of time stop in the fact that like everyone freezes and he can only hold it for a little bit otherwise people's brains yeah. will explode <laughs> to a fly on the wall it would probably look that way yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i would say so it's so freaking cool yeah this uh yeah great great job jacob uh, again <laughs> um this and is some really profound work and just like you again you have such a grasp on the numbers that are needed to make all of these very very complex abilities make sense and i really commend that yeah awesome. that's what i was gonna say is like it's impressive to me how well you balance this stuff because i have so many freaking ideas for like oh my gosh i could do this subclass i could make a subclass about this i could make a race or a new class about xyz thing and then i like start writing it out and i'm like it's too strong <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and I'm like looking at it, I'm like at level five i could kill tiamat that's not good <laughs> yeah balance is so hard man that was all of our anime stuff right up front. <laughs> yeah, a whole lot of it. Um, oh my gosh. No complaints from me though. That was fun. None whatsoever. So we decided this time to go back to making homebrew stuff because mm -hmm. we haven't done it in a, f a few episodes. Yep. We've been looking at a lot of different things. <clears throat> um, but this time we are bringing our own babies to the table. That's right. And since I am so bad at balancing things, I decided to not to. And I made this one real fucking strong. Mm -hmm. So my homebrew thing that I brought to the table, we decided to do homebrew monsters. Um, kind of keeping in theme with Halloween and spooky season. I have created a nightmarish horror beast from the depths of hell. <clears throat> We're going with a, a bit of a spooky horror theme for both of these creatures that we've designed. Yes, precisely. So 
the creature that I have crafted in my mind is called the Soul Stalker. Now, if any of you have seen the movie The Tomorrow War, I kind of had in my head the alien creatures of that movie called white spikes okay when i designed this quadrupedal kind of but they have six legs and like tentacles and they can like shoot bones and things crazy little things so i kind of took that and then made them a little bit different aren't they cool looking oh yeah oh that's freaky (laughs) right i oh it looks like a bionicle yeah oh my god it it does it looks like a uh oh shit what are the underwater ones called the underwater baddies that shoot the squids the baraki this this stalker guy you're talking about looks like the white one yes paradak yep (laughs) all of our bionicle stands sound off in the comments (laughs) but yeah anyway back to the soul stalker yeah so reminiscent of bionicle bad guys reminiscent of white spikes from uh, the tomorrow war so basically these are six-legged quadrupedal creatures um they use the front and back legs for locomotion the two middle sets of arms are longer and skinnier and they are almost like tentacles but they do still have joints okay um they remain completely folded up against its chest until they're like ready to strike Um, at the ends of the middle arms are long bony claws, almost like Wolverine claws. Mm-hmm. Looks like mantis, like, like mantis claws. Yeah, kind of. But I went for a little bit more of like kind of hand esque okay. on this, um, diverting away a little bit from okay. the yeah. picture there. <clears throat> um, because they can actually loosen and throw the claws on the end of these arms that's cool and they regrow um the soul stalker has three sets of eyes one directly in the front and then two like kind of on top of each other on each side um so another thing that i don't think i wrote down in here but on their little feetsies they have like kind of like dinosaur claws, but with opposable thumbs. Mm-hmm. And they have the Velociraptor big hooked index toes. Mm-hmm. So most of the claw is like kind of grabby because they have um, spider climb as an ability. I gave them, they can climb and stick upside down on stuff. But the way they hunt is by tapping. Echolocation? No. No? Tremor sense. Oh, fun. <laughs> so when they tap, instead of echolocating through the air, it echolocates through the ground. Oh, my. <laughs> that's, that's a scary concept. So they have several ways of hunting you. Mm-hmm. So they can listen. They can kind of do echolocation. They can listen. They can tap and do the tremor sense. Or they have like, not really blind sight, but essentially they can like they can sense movement okay very well. <clears throat> so from a stat standpoint, 
um, I made this a uh, an aberration monster type, and it is huge mm-hmm. for its size. So very, very large, bigger than your party, most yeah. likely. I want this thing to be terrifying. Naturally. One of my favorite things um, that happens in Dungeons & Dragons is when a DM can use a nonverbal cue that will trigger the party. Mm. <laughs> and that can be negative or positive connotation. Yeah. Um, my wife, Sophia, in one of her campaigns, she has specific songs that play uh-huh. when specific characters, gods, enemies appear. And it's gotten to the point we've been doing that campaign long enough. We hear the song and we all go, something's coming before she even has to say anything. We're like, Oh, (laughs) my Lord, (laughs) something is terribly amiss. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So the thought process behind this one is I want a DM to be able to sit behind their screen and let people just be walking through a forest or something. And then all of a sudden, They just hear tapping. Uh-huh. And the players know something's coming. So very, very oh, give me goosebumps. Yeah, good theme. <laughs> um, so it will have a natural armor class of 17, um, 315 hit points. It has a 50-foot walking speed and a 50-foot climbing speed. Fast little boy. It has 19 strength. 24 dexterity, 19 constitution, 14 intelligence, 22 wisma, wisma, <laughs> wisdom, whew, and 14 charisma. <laughs> What's your wisma score? Wisma. <laughs> it has proficiency in dexterity, constitution, and wisdom saving throws. Um, and for skills, it has acrobatics of plus 15, intimidation of plus 11, investigation of plus 7, perception plus 17, mm-hmm. and stealth plus 15, survival plus 7. Purely a hunter. That is, it's basically like Predator from the Predator yeah. movies. Basically like that in an animal form. Okay. That's kind of what I was going for yeah. here. Um, and it is heavily themed around remaining in shadows or dim light. Um, it has resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical attacks while it is in dim light or darkness. It is immune to acid or poison damage and immune to being blinded, charmed, frightened. <clears throat> has 60 feet of dark vision and 120 feet of tremor sense. Also has a passive perception of 31. Whoa, that's a lot. Three sets of eyes. Sheesh. I very specifically wanted this to be something that you cannot sneak up on it. I know that's... You would not be able to. Yeah, it's definitely like a lot of rogues out there. And I mean, for those of you who just took that as a challenge, yes, it is possible to achieve a stealth score above 31. Yeah, I mean, not everyone's a min-maxer, though. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I want this to be able to be like 99% of the time you will not sneak up yeah. on this. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, 
Yeah, uh, challenge rating of 15. I wanted this to be very, very difficult one. As far as its natural abilities, I talked about spider, spider climb. Um, also has the ability clinging shadows, um, which just outlines its resistance. Uh, when it's in dim light or darkness, the soul stalker can mold the shadows around it to protect itself, gaining resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical attacks. <clears throat> also has born of shadow. While the Soul Stalker is invisible, it gains resistance to all damage. And then Death from the Shadows. Soul Stalker prefers to strike targets who are not aware of its presence or location. When the Soul Stalker is hidden from a target, one of its attacks per turn deals an additional 24 or 6d6 necrotic damage. If this attack reduces a creature to zero hit points, the Soul Stalker may immediately make a stealth check to silently drag its target into the shadows and remain hidden. Mm -hmm. Again, very predator. I want it to be like, it can sneak up on the party, hit someone in the back. And if they were weakened already and they go down, just disappears. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also has caustic blood. The soul stalker's blood is highly acidic. Whenever the soul stalker is dealt bludgeoning, piercing or slashing damage, any creature within 10 feet of it, must make a dexterity saving throw of a DC 13, or they take 12 acid damage. Now for its actions, um, has the Relentless Assault action. The Soul Stalker may make two attacks in any combination of its Talon Swipe, Talon Throw, or Bite actions. Attacks. Talon Swipe uh, has a 10-foot reach, plus 11 to hit, and it hits one target dealing 24 slashing damage, which just reaching out with those tentacle-like arms mm-hmm. and slashing away. Um, Talon Throw is the ranged attack, plus 11 to hit as well, range of 30 to 60 feet. Uh, one target, and on a hit, they take 16 piercing damage plus 24 acid damage because the talons that it throws are also coated in its blood. Okay. Acidic. The bite attack is plus 11 to hit with a reach of 5 feet, hitting one target, and on a hit they take 28 points of piercing damage. Whole lot. Yeah. (laughs) I think I did a good job of not making it like stupid amounts of damage. Yeah, I think it's, it's, I'm I'm not going to say manageable, but like. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's balanced. For being a CR 15 monster, yeah. that's on the level of an adult dragon. Yes. So yes. it makes sense. How, uh, how big is this thing, do you imagine? Uh, huge is, I believe the huge sizing is like around 15 feet tall. Okay, yeah. So. Menacing. Decently large. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has a separate action that it can take called Tail Strike. As an action, the Soul Stalker spins in a circle rapidly, swinging its spined tail around itself. Every creature within 10 feet of the Soul Stalker must make a dexterity saving throw of 16, or take 32 points of piercing damage Mm. and be pushed 10 feet away. Wow. On a successful save, a creature takes half damage and is not pushed. Um, Soul Stalker has two bonus actions that it can choose from. One bonus action per turn. Melt into Shadow. As a bonus action, Soul Stalker may attempt to cloak itself in shadow and turn invisible until the start of its next turn. 
Any creature that can see the Soul Stalker may make a perception check, DC 21, to negate the effects of this invisibility for that one creature. Any creature who fails their perception check treats the Soul Stalker as invisible, even if its location is called out by an ally. Kind of going with the whole like active camo kind of yeah. thing. <clears throat> Another bonus action it can take is tactical reposition. It may use its bonus action to disengage from any creature in melee range of itself, moving up to its movement speed. Just a disengage bonus action. I think it makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> and it has one reaction. Reckless opportunity. Mm -hmm. As a reaction, when the Soul Stalker is hit by a weapon attack from an attacker within 10 feet of it, it may choose to take two additional damage dice of damage from that one attack in order to immediately make either a talon swipe or bite attack against the target with disadvantage. That's interesting. Huh. Kind of like a cornered animal thing. I yeah. wanted to have a little bit of like a, oh shit. That is exactly <laughs> what that evokes. Yeah. Huh. So freaking fun. Super cool. I'm excited to throw this into a campaign somewhere. I, as much as I it dread it, uh, it that, that'd be a fun encounter. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Super cool. Yeah. So that's my horrific, horrible D&D &D monster. It is both of those things. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Uh, what I have, I'm not actually going to bother to describe the appearance of, because as I describe its abilities, you will probably be able to guess what this is based off and therefore what it kind of looks like. This is right. called Dreadcat Anathemao. Oh, God. <laughs> So this is a uh, you would you would find this much much earlier in any campaign. Um, I wanted the CR to be like six or seven. Um, you got fourteen AC based off you know nineteen ducks, uh, one hundred five hit points, thirty feet of speed. Um, so twelve strength, nineteen decks, seven con, fifteen int, uh, eleven wisdom, seventeen charisma. You got a plus six in charisma saving throws, uh, plus three to perception, plus five to stealth for your skills, and then resistance to damage from spells, um, immune to charmed, frightened, and petrified, passive perception 17, so rather high for the, uh, the you know, yeah. difficulty, the challenge rating, um, <clears throat> and a proficiency bonus of plus three. Dread Cat Anathemiao has. <laughs> it's like a Pokemon. Okay. <laughs> Go, Anathemiao! Uh, keen hearing and smell, of course. Uh, advantage on wisdom perception checks that rely on hearing or smell. It has advantage on deception and performance checks. Okay. Uh, and then for our actions, we have multi-attack which i have modified a little bit from the norm um so dreadcat anathemiao I'm, I'm having trouble pronouncing this <laughs> dreadcat anathemiao makes two attacks at least one of which is a claw attack which i'll get into the other may be a spell from its innate spell casting yes it can cast spells spoopy at will unlimited hell yeah not enough of those in D&D, &D, honestly. No. Uh, we got our claws, which are plus eight to hit, reach of five feet, one target, um, one D10 plus five slashing damage. Nothing too special, but, you know, if you choose, if you chose to do two of those on your multi-attack, it, it would be a decent turn of damage. Yeah. For your innate spell casting, 
Dreadcat and Nyath Meow's ability is Charisma with a spell save DC 15. And it can innately cast, with no material components, Misty Step and Vicious Mockery. Hell yeah. I was just thinking this is giving me Bard bard vibes a little it's, it's a little bit bard vibes um it i mean the character it's based on this i would say so i'm i have a picture forming in my yeah, mind yeah <laughs> i uh the bonus action will will give it to you completely um so with with the misty step in mind uh dread cat anathema <laughs> I'm not going to be able to repeat this much longer. (laughs) (laughs) As the one bonus action, Phantasmal Grin. Yeah! (laughs) Now you know the one. Um, Of course, uh, Cheshire Cat is the character in mind. Um, Hell yeah. I would, as the DM here, flavor Misty Step to be the, you know, gradual disappearance into space of the cat's body and then gradual reappearance wherever you choose within the misty <laughs> step range. Right. I think it'd be really fun too, to have it be where you can see the grin. Oh, travel yes. as it misty steps that explicitly that yeah. <laughs> because of how phantasmal grin works um, on a three, four recharge again, uh, it can create a floating grinning set of teeth in the air as a bonus action when it uses misty step as its action. The grin can appear at any location within 20 feet of the destination of Misty Step. Any creature within 10 feet of the grin must make a wisdom saving throw or become frightened. That's so sick. And it can pop that one every turn. Not every turn. It can, it can pop well, Misty Step every turn and then... Uh, well, I mean, if you're rolling a D4 and it's recharging on a 3 to 4, I think that works. May, yeah, you're right. You're right. That's I mean, good. If you were rolling a D six and you had it on five to six, I would say maybe drop that a little uh-huh. bit to like four to six. Yeah. Three, four on a D four sounds good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's you're right. so freaking fun, dude. I, uh, this is, I want to flesh this out just a, a little bit. I'm not sure what the thing is. I haven't seen Alice in Wonderland in so long. I can't really remember what all the Cheshire cat does. Kind of. It, because I mean it's kind of just meant to be creepy yeah it's whole iconic thing thing is the smile but I don't remember if it had any like specific like lines that led to like maybe an ability it had that it didn't use well and something I was doing while while doing a little bit of research on on the you know concept of the Cheshire Cat is uh, looking at where like all of the adaptations of its Mm -hmm. usage um and, uh, you know, there, there's some more like, like horror genre type things that it appears in, but I think my but. question would be, does the Cheshire cat appear in Alice Madness Returns? I, I should think. And like, if so, does it have abilities in those games? That would be a cool thing to check out. That's an interesting thing to think. It most certainly does appear. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting <laughs> thing to think it doesn't about. doesn't surprise me. Yeah, that'd be kind of a cool thing to see. Maybe that can kind of refine what your creature can do. Yeah. I think that's a really, really solid base, though. I like, think so. I think... You, you could absolutely run it like that. Like, I think it's annoying as hell <laughs> to well, have... <laughs> it would make a really fucking iconic NPC. 
It really would, yeah. Like, yeah, like something you run into as an encounter, and then it starts talking to you. Yeah. I could see that. Like, imagine that as, like, a traveling shopkeeper that just happens to appear in every dungeon That's the party funny. goes to. <laughs> and there's like, do you need to buy some healing potions? Yeah. And the party's like, how are you here again? <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, me at Uku in Twilight Princess. <laughs> I hate that thing. Fun stuff we got here today, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This was a bit of a long one, but if you took the time to sit through it, thank you a whole hell of a lot for listening. I hope your Halloween is spectacular. If you went to see the FNAF movie, I hope you liked it. And I hope we do when we go see it. Who's to say? The whole purpose of seeing the movie is to enjoy it for yourself, not <laughs> for whether or not it's a critically acclaimed blah, 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 blah. Go have fun. Have fun. I'm going to be want. watching as a neurotic editor. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'll be doing. <laughs> so. Fair. As if you don't do enough of that no, already. Well, you know. <laughs> as always, uh, if you would like to pull a Jacob P and send us stuff to talk about, um, we love doing that so much. We had so much fun doing that in this episode, and we want to do it again and again and again. Um, submissions permitting. So send your submissions to us, someonegreaterpod at gmail.com or greater on Twitter. We love yeah. reading all that shit. Send us more. Have yourselves a wonderful week. Bye-bye.